Hey, Fidelity. How can I remember to invest every month? With the Fidelity app, you can choose a schedule and set up recurring investments in stocks and ETFs. Oh, that sounds easier than I thought. You got this. Yeah, I do. Now, where did I put my keys? You will find them where you left them. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Everybody should give themselves a little bit, I think, more slack to not necessarily... Mm run the marathon, but, but walk, you know, do the hike. If that's the thing you'll enjoy and you'll persist at it. If you instead had set the goal of I'm going to become a marathon runner, you would have quit by quitter's day, which PS, I think we are literally talking on quitter's day. That is my understanding. What? What? Today's quitter's day? Second Friday in January, I was told is quitter's day. What makes it quitter's day? A lot of people quit their New Year's resolutions early, and somebody named it Quitter's Day. Maybe they were working at Hallmark. I'm not sure. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I got a lot of emails from reporters in the last couple of days really? who said, it's Quitter's Day this Friday. What are your thoughts? So, Are, yeah, are you supposed thing. to give gifts on Quitter's Day? I didn't get you anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm, I mean, I'm sure that there's some retailer who's working on that. I do not make New Year's resolutions. It's not for lack of things that I'd like to change. I wish I exercised more. I wish I spent less time on my phone. No, the reason I don't make New Year's resolutions is I don't like failing. And I know that I probably would because changing who you are is really, really hard. I'm Max Fisher filling in for John Favreau. This week, we're talking about the science of resolutions, why we make them, why they mostly fail, how to make them work. About one in three Americans say they're setting resolutions this year, including half of people under 30. Tellingly, only a third of the people setting resolutions say they think it's very likely they'll keep them. And even that might be optimistic. One study found that only 9% of people who make resolutions end up completing them, with one in four quitting within the first week. Resolutions are fascinating to me because they are the gap between who we are and who we want to be. And they remind us that we are in less than total control of our own behavior, including when it comes to some really important stuff like our health and our relationships. But it turns out, that when you understand the psychological barriers that make it so difficult to change, overcoming those barriers can get a lot easier. In a bit, we'll hear from Katie Milkman, who studies these very questions as a behavioral economist at the University of Pennsylvania and is the author of a book titled How to Change, The Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. But first, I'm joined by some colleagues to discuss what happened when they tried New Year's resolutions. Hey, pals. Hello. Thanks for joining me. So if you could, please introduce yourselves. Howdy. Um, I'm David Toledo. I'm one of the producers on Pod Save America. 
I'm Ben Talisman. I'm the office manager here at Crooked. I'm Gabriella Leverett, and I work in marketing. So did you all set resolutions this year? Yes. Many. Mm-hmm. Many? Okay, what are they? Well, <laughs> let me look at my book, because oh I God. do have them. We're getting out well, paper. Okay, this is going to say a lot about me, but um, there are like eight dimensions of life. There's a chart sure. that I is didn't out. Know that. Yes. So it's like social, societal, uh, physical, okay. XYZ. So okay. I have goals for each of the dimensions and like ha- habits and routines that ladder up to them. I'm like one of those. Wow. I'm one of those. That's amazing. You have eight resolutions. Minimum. That's very type A. Ben? Um, I, I also have multiple. Uh, they are on a note on okay. my phone. Okay. And they are not uh, societal. They are very basic. But yeah, my strategy is smaller, multiple resolutions. So that okay. Way I, I, what are you guys setting as your resolutions? <laughs> you <go laughs> All right, first. David, while they're pulling out yeah. their paper, do you want to tell us if you're... I'm actually anti-New Year's resolutions. Sorry really? to uh, be the odd one on the table. I don't know. I like, who cares? Like, I, I break promises to myself all the time. And I'm also not into the whole, like, New Year, New Me mentality because just a, cal- a calendar year ended, so I'm supposed to totally transform myself. I don't think so, honey. Um, <laughs> I, it takes me some time to, like, change. But it's nice. It's a it's a mechanism for self-change, for self-improvement. I will say I'm into setting goals. Okay. I don't think they necessarily need to be done on January 1st. Um, I I like the idea of like a fresh start, but they can be done on any of the like temporal landmarks, like not necessarily a new year, but like a new month, a new week, a birthday, um, a new academic year if you're in school. So you do set resolutions for yourself. You're just a contrarian about the day. Not New Year resolutions, yes. Okay. What What's one of the resolutions you're setting for yourself this year? Oh, this year. Okay. Um, uh, last year, my resolution, one of my resolutions, uh, which I had a lot of fun doing, uh, was um, at some point during early 2023, I was listening to like an NPR podcast called Life Kit, mm-hmm. and the host was talking about how to be a better movie watcher. And the movie critic was talking about how he watches 300 movies a year mm-hmm. for work, obviously. Uh, that's his job uh, to talk about movies. I think I've hit, I hit 100 last year. Yeah, I was like, if he can do 300, I'm going to do a modest one of 200. And I ended up watching 209. I had, so you hit it. Yeah, I had a really good time. Um, the receipts are on Letterbox. follow me. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was a really good year for cinema. I was like uh, Barbenheimer, of course, uh, but I also watched a lot of oldies but goodies. Uh, and it sounds like a fun goal. Yeah, it and shout, like shout out to, to like AMC Stubbs, which made it really like easy to like watch a lot of movies on a budget. Gabby, Ben, can you give us give us one of your resolutions that you're excited about for this year? Okay, uh, my exciting one is that um, I want to write a producible short film and then produce it. Wow, Amazing. that's a big resolution. Okay, yeah. that's exciting. Yeah, I, um, I I write a lot and I tend to make like not <laughs> I just wrote a docu- uh, mockumentary about salmon and that's just not something that I have the resources to make sure. so um, uh, I decided I actually want to make something and then have a product okay. at the end of it I love that mm-hmm. what is it about um, I think it's going to be about a woman who goes to a medium to contact her dead therapist to have like one last session <laughs> You guys have to That's cut fun. that, though. Now someone's that. going to yeah. take it. Rachel. Right. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Mine is to have a home that reflects my authentic self and fulfills my mental and physical needs. Okay. Great resolutions. Mary Kondo. Um, (laughs) So today is January 12th. Have any of you already given up at any of your resolutions? I've augmented. Okay. Okay. That sounds suspiciously like like giving up. No, that's the opposite of giving up. That's resiliency, if you think about it. Did Did you augment the goal to make them less ambitious? To make them more attainable. Okay. okay. It's all about <laughs> goals framing. are yeah. all about framing. And I work in marketing, so it's all about marketing <laughs> to yourself. That's what resolutions really are. Okay. Um, okay. I, for example, wanted to be moving my body at least 30 minutes a day in mm-hmm. any way. Um, but then I got a gift card to Core Power for the holidays from one of the coordinators here. And so now I'm going to a one-hour class per week uh, mm-hmm. for that. So it's just like moving the time around but the specifics aren't (laughs) exactly girl math um so like the specifics aren't the point to me Mm -hmm. the point is like i am doing something good for my body and i'm making it an intentional weekly activity um so augmenting is how i'd prefer uh the audience to hear okay. <laughs> to hear that change. Okay. Well, let's talk about last year. David, we know you hit your admirable goal of watching movies, an excellent goal. Ben, Gabby, how'd you do last year? So I had two resolutions. One was to do um, Japanese Duolingo mm-hmm. every day, and I hit that goal. Okay, nice. And then because my reward is if I did it, I get to go. I get to go to Japan. And then, oh, wow. Um, so And that was very motivating. And then my other goal was to read one book <laughs> and I did not do that. <laughs> yeah, so. tell us about your, because you've set this goal a couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. Tell us about your journey to New Year's resolution yourself and to reading a single book. Yes, yeah, so um, it started in 2021. I hadn't read a book since college, and I was like, this is terrible. So I um, made a resolution that I would read one book because if I didn't achieve it, it would be pathetic. And <laughs> don't worry about this year. But so I did. I read... Um, uh, J.P. Brammer's memoir, and it was mm. really, really great. Um, and then I was like, "Great! What, uh, what amazing momentum! I'll read two, two books in 2022." And then I read one book again, but and so <laughs> it was plateau. Like it was still getting me to read. So you half succeeded, exactly, and then half succeeded. And then um, last year, I was like, "Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> Let's read one book." And then I read. And zero. then you didn't even. What's fascinating to me about that is that the the motivation for reading books that you were trying to use to get yourself over the hump was to avoid the shame of having to tell yeah. people that you hadn't read a book. And yeah. it turned out that was really effective for one year. Yeah. But as soon as you read it, it suddenly wasn't that effective mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. And now I'm talking about the shame on a podcast. So, <laughs> But going to Japan was something that was effective. Yes, yes, you. definitely. And a, a way harder goal mm-hmm. of using Duolingo a bunch. Mm-hmm. It was definitely more challenging um, because... But but the thing with Duolingo is that the daily feedback where it gives you, this is how many days you've been doing this. And mm-hmm. it's like not something you have to like, uh, I've used apps that are like habit trackers where you like X out days that you do things. And mm. for me, it didn't work because I was like, well, I know I did it already. Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it was really great. And there were definitely days that um, I didn't want to do it, but I was like. I'm going to break my streak. So like the gamified aspect of it, I think it works. really worked. Yeah. yeah. Gabby, how'd you do? Yeah, for me, a lot of it was, not to get too sentimental, a lot of it was about like mental health and lowering my anxiety, which I definitely have, Mm. um, and setting better work life, uh, having better work life balance. Um, And so I 
I successfully did that. You know, I did weekly therapy for the full year, completed that out. Um, I'm still doing it now. Um, I turn off my laptop at 5 p.m. Like I, um, yeah, so I am doing much better. Um, Actually, the one thing that I would recommend people do at the beginning of the year, oh, and I'm totally telling on myself, um, (laughs) but I, at the beginning of the year, canceled all of my one-on-one meetings with everybody on my calendar and was like, if you don't notice, then I don't have to do them again. Um, So that's what, how I start my, the beginning of the year. I just kind of like clear up my calendar, like dedicated times on my calendar for work um, and then see who notices and then I'll add them back based on that. I mean, that's a, that's a reward to yourself, which you earned. Absolutely. Were there any resolutions that you particularly struggled with or I'm sorry, augmented last year? Augmented. (laughs) Um, I mean, anxiety, they're all ups and downs because mine are not so much like Duolingo streak uh, type of things. They're more like general things that like every month there's going to be different habits and routines I'm going to have to implement. But Mm. um, I, you know, one of the things for my mental health, I wanted to have a better morning routine. I wanted to wake up earlier. I was waking up at 8, 830 and like it was getting kind of uh, later in the day. And so I have been able to shift that back to like 7 a.m. I wanted it to be 630. Mm. Didn't get there, Mm -hmm. but I still count that as a win. So I guess I guess maybe I'm just very positive and um, I'm actually failing miserably (laughs) and just like not really believing it. Well, it does seem like an important insight that you you got part of the way there and frame that for yourself as a success rather than as a failure. Um, And I want to ask you, like, what do you all think is so hard about achieving resolutions like these? Like, why do they so often fail, which for most people they do pretty quickly? I know. I know the answer. Okay, what's the answer? Because I watch uh, lots of videos on YouTube about these types of things. I think that um, people choose resolutions based on how they sound. And I don't think they choose them for who they Mm. are. And I think that that leads to a lot of incongruency. Can you give us an example? Yeah, like I, for example, had the res... Okay, one that I failed at now that I remember back in therapy. (laughs) Um, I remember just getting up in the mornings when I was at more like 8.30 um, and seeing that people were like already out running. And I felt so much shame that I wasn't out running mm-hmm. in the mornings. And I was I was talking to my therapist and I was like, everybody gets up in the morning and everybody runs. And she's like, Gabby, you don't actually want to run. You just don't want to be the only one not running. And that's not a real goal for you. Like that doesn't ladder up to anything that I'm trying to bring into my life. Um, so instead I do dance parties in my own house. So like I put Spotify up on my on my television, I'll put the lyrics up and I will dance and sing. And like, that's more true to who I am, but still ladders up to that same movement goal. And so I think that people maybe aren't doing that part of it, which is like making it true to themselves and who they are in the moment. That's really smart. I also think um, it's, it is the new year aspect of it that people make these resolutions. I feel like during the holidays when there isn't a lot going on and then there's this new year ahead of them and they're like, well, this is an opportunity to be a different person. And then when in the first couple weeks, especially of January, where nothing is really different except for the date that they're writing down and there's like that kind of malaise that follows the holidays, I think people start to fall off because they're like, oh, nothing is really different. So I think some people lack that kind of internal motivation that you need to make goals like this succeed. For me, my birthday is, it was yesterday, it was the 11th. Happy birthday. Thank you. And for me, I think a reason that resolutions in general work for me is because it's like framed as, oh, it's a new year of my like life. Like, oh, it's the jump from 27 to 28 or whatever. 
Yeah, I think that's a really important insight that we think we're magically going to become different people who operate on different motives and incentives, and that's going to make this all so easy. Totally. Um, May I add, though, mm-hmm. that I believe that goals are part of an equation. I mm. think that other parts of the equation are routines, are habits, are quarterly check-ins, reflections, planning. Um, and if you just set a goal without any of those things involved, it's probably not going to be very fruitful. I also think that if you're really devoted to a goal, making sure that you're seeing it somewhere daily, if it's buried in your notes app, no offense, <laughs> but you have Duolingo, the app mm-hmm. on your phone. And so like, if you're not finding ways to make it visible to you on a regular basis, it's going to become a back burner. And mm. so making sure, for example, my planner, which I'm not going to plug the exact one, but <laughs> um, it has um, someday, one day, half year, quarterly, monthly, weekly, daily. Wow. And so you can oh see- Oh my God, I look have at a, that detail. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes. Beautiful handwriting. Thank you. I wrote it many times before I put it in here in pen. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, you can just kind of see like goals kind of laddering back to daily actions that I can know that I'm doing. And then they kind of like make sure that I get there one day. I feel like we are learning that maybe you naturally have some tendencies or Anxiety? things that come to you. Well, <laughs> or you're very fastidious, yeah. you're very detail oriented that work well with setting and achieving goals for yourselves. And one of the things we're going to talk about in the second half of the episode is what do the rest of us do who maybe, you know, don't write things out quite like that. It doesn't come to us as naturally, but I think there are ways to it. Um, Well, pals, thank you so much for joining me. This was great. Thank you. Before we get to the break, well, the Iowa caucus is tomorrow, and we all deserve a little treat for getting through it. So how about a New Hampshire primary? ABC News will hold the New Hampshire presidential debate on Thursday, January 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern, which means it's time for our first group thread of the year. Join the hosts and staff behind your favorite Crooked Pods in a Discord-exclusive event that critics are raving makes the debates almost bearable. This is a subscriber-exclusive, so if you're not already one of our community's 11,000 members, head to crooked.com friends to learn more and sign up. What happens when one of China's most famous human rights activists escapes house arrest in China, lands in America as a symbol of freedom and democracy, then somehow reemerges a few years later as an avid Trump supporter? This is the story of Chen Guancheng. In Crooked's newest podcast, Dissident at the Doorstep, hosts Allison Clayman, Colin Jones, and Yang Yang Cheng tell the story of how a person can become a symbol for American values and what happens to them next. The first and second episode dropped yesterday. Listen to it now with new episodes of Dissident at the Doorstep at every Saturday in the Pod Save the World feed wherever you get your podcasts. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. So I'm joined now by Katie Melkman. She is a behavioral economist at the University of Pennsylvania and the author of How to Change the Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. Katie, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So I want to start with this idea of willpower, which forever and ever I feel like has been at the center of how we think about resolutions, this idea that the way that you get yourself to the gym or to eat better is by gritting your teeth and just willing yourself to change. But it turns out that our obsession with self-control might actually be part of why resolutions so often fail. Can you explain the case against relying just on willpower? Absolutely. Willpower is something that we want to fall back on. Not at all, if possible, because it's really (laughs) hard to use. The people who make the most progress actually turn out to be people who have already developed a habit of engaging in healthy behavior. So this is based on research by one of my collaborators, uh, Angela Duckworth, who you might know for her work on grit. But actually, Mm -hmm. she has a really lovely paper showing that the people who appear to exert the most self-control are actually people who formed habits and aren't even thinking deliberately about pursuing a goal. They're they're just short-circuiting that and jumping straight to the behavior that has become habitual. They're not thinking, do I have a, a muffin or an apple for breakfast? The apple is what they always have. And they're not thinking, do I go to the gym or skip the gym? They always go to the gym. So they skip willpower. It's been short-circuited. But if you're actually trying to build a habit, it's also a disaster if you try to rely on willpower. And there's really excellent research by Ayelet Fishbach at the University of Chicago and Caitlin Woolley at Cornell showing that We think if we just find the most efficient path to success, we'll be able to grit it out. We'll be able to just do it as Nike tells us and succeed with willpower. And that's that's what most of us choose when we're mapping out how we will achieve our goals. But it's a mistake. A small fraction of people try to pursue change in a way that's more enjoyable. They look for the fun path. And it turns out if you can pick, if you can nudge people, you say, you know, try pursuing your goals in a way that's fun versus try pursuing your goals in a way that's efficient. You do a random assignment study, which they've done. You actually get better results when you're pursuing goals in a way that's fun. And the reason is you don't have to work against your impulses. You don't have to push through and use willpower. You enjoy the pursuit of the goal and you persist. And there's study after study now that that are showing this in different ways. Well, I think that's a that's a really important point about changing the way we think about pursuing goals and resolutions because I feel like so often when we think about 
how to meet our goals for ourselves, like you say, we often pick the straightest path, which is also the hardest path. We get up at dawn to jog. We replace all of our favorite foods with the healthiest ones. But this research that you cited, which I would actually like to hear you talk a little bit more about because it really unlocks something for me, actually says that what we should do is compromise on those goals to try to have fun along the way. Can you can you kind of explain that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the key reasons we fail at our goals is something called present bias. So present bias is the tendency to care more about instant gratification, the rewards I get right now, than the long-term payoffs. It's a problem for us in many contexts, right? It makes it really hard to save because normally when you get the paycheck, you want to spend it on something fun immediately as opposed to thinking, yeah, in 40 years when I retire or 30 or 20, whatever it is, it's a long time horizon for most people, unless you're a couple days away. That's when you're going to get the the benefit, right? So saving is a is a classic present bias problem. Exercising, quitting smoking, studying for your exam instead of going out with your friends, focusing on the project you have for work instead of you know spending time on social media or checking out the latest YouTube videos. All of these things are going to be challenging because present bias is working against us. So, what do you do when you're facing this challenge? Well, the classic mistake is you say, I'm just going to use willpower to push through. But actually what turns out to be evidence-based and more successful is just changing the equation. If you are wired to care more about instant gratification, then you need to make it instantly gratifying to pursue your goals as opposed to just assuming you can push through the pain. So there's a number of different research studies that have shown the power of making it more fun. Um, I've done some work on a strategy I call temptation bundling. That Mm -hmm. is a very explicit way of doing this where- I love this um, idea. (laughs) Thank you. It has changed my life for the better. So I'm I'm preaching preaching what I practice. Um, If you have something you find to be a chore, say exercise, but maybe for you it's cooking fresh meals or spending time with a difficult employee and mentoring them, whatever it might be. Think of something you'd find tempting and you'd really want to do and only let yourself do it when you're experiencing the chore. So let's do exercise, which is for me the chore. I I know I should exercise in the elliptical. I feel good afterwards, but P.S., I'm present biased. So in the moment, I want to sit on my couch and binge watch TV. Well, my solution is I only get to binge watch my favorite low-brow shows when I'm working out on the elliptical. And now I don't have to use willpower to drag myself to the elliptical at the end of the day. I'm actually looking forward to it because I want to know what happens to my favorite characters. And time flies while I'm doing it. I've changed the experience. So that's one example. We've done research showing that temptation bundling significantly increases exercise. Another example from Ayelet Fishbach and Caitlin Woolley's research is to show that students who are in a math class actually perform better. They persist longer on difficult math problems when their teachers basically temptation bundle in the environment. They bring in uh, Hmm. markers and snacks and play music. And P.S., teachers are super worried that this is not going to go well because it sounds distracting. But students actually persist longer when they're pursuing their goals in this more fun environment. So these are a bunch of different examples. One of the things that I really love about this idea of temptation bundling, of taking the things like going to the gym that we want to do but have a hard time making ourselves doing and then adding something fun to do while we're there 
to make it more appealing. One of the things I love about this is it really flips the way that we think about that present bias. Because I feel like everything in our culture tells us that present bias, which is, you know, like you were saying, is our tendency to want to indulge whatever feels good in the moment over what is good for us in the long term. Everything in our culture tells us that's bad. And that our responsibility is to overcome that present bias, is to eradicate it from our day-to-day lives. Like the, you know, famous or depending on who you talk to, notorious marshmallow experiment that says that, you know, the kids who do best in life are the ones who can resist the temptation to have a marshmallow, which it turns out now maybe actually that experiment was just controlling for wealth and kids who grow up wealthier, or that's what it was conveying. We can talk about that if you want, but actually the, I, I, my interpretation of the experiment is quite good. It's just that people okay. misinterpreted its purpose. And it's just a, it's a funky uh, way of measuring how hmm. well people will do later in life. That seems right. to be fairly robust and it's strongly correlated with, it p- basically picks up on a bunch of other things that are also going to predict how well you do in life. Um, but it is predictive. It's just that socioeconomic status is too, but, but it's a nice measure. So when, when an experimenter comes into the room, they offer these like five-year-olds two marshmallows, but they say, you're only going to get the second one if you can wait until I come back into the room to eat the first one. Basically, if kids can wait even five to seven seconds, that's most of the explanatory power. It turns out to predict a whole bunch of life success outcomes, which is pretty incredible. Well, I mean, this, this experiment has kind of taken on a life of its own in our culture, because I think the lesson that many of us took, because you're right, there there are important things to learn from this experiment. The lesson many of us took is that you should never have the marshmallow. If you are the kind of person <laughs> who have the marshmallow, you're screwed for life and you have to become one of the people who doesn't eat the marshmallow if you want to have any chance of success. And what I love about things like temptation bundling is they say, look, present bias is just how our brains work. And instead of trying to overcome it, which is impossible, and you're probably going to fail or at least have a hard time, use it to your advantage. And I also, when I was learning about temptation bundling, I had this incredible aha moment where I remembered back to this time in my life years ago where there was like a year or two where I was going to the gym all the time like, and had a much easier time going, like way more than I had gone before and have gone since. And I've never really understood or been able to reproduce that time in my life when I was going to the gym so much. And as I was reading about your research on temptation bundling, I suddenly realized that that period when I was going to the gym, I used to keep my copies of the New Yorker magazine, which I love reading, in my car. And I would only read them at the gym, not because I had planned it that way, but just because that was how it worked out. So what do you know Going to the gym became fun, and I went all the time with like no effort without even realizing I was doing it. So I just thought it was this incredible way to realize it's so powerful and so effective. Um, are there other examples for maybe um, ways you can use temptation bundling or examples of um, ways you've heard it heard of it being used? Yeah, absolutely. First, I have to say an aside, which is just, I love that you use the New Yorker to Temptation Bundle. And uh, that is <laughs> one nerd. of my, I'm a nerd too. My very first foray into research life, which led to my whole career, involved the New Yorker. So I Temptation Bundled to do my senior thesis, which was a requirement for graduating from the college I attended. And I, mm. I didn't know how to make it fun to write a thesis. I had to write a thesis um, about operations research that also combined American studies. And I ended up doing a statistical analysis of a decade of New Yorker fiction, which allowed me to read hundreds of New Yorker stories for my thesis. 
It was the most fun project I've ever done. And it was a temptation bundle. I figured out a way to pursue this daunting goal, but through something I love, just like you, I love, I love reading the New Yorker. So not everyone's going to resonate with that. So let me give you some other I'm examples sure. of ways yeah. Temptation bundle, but uh, but you're bringing me back. Uh, so think about <laughs> temptation bundling by uh, imagine you want to cook fresh meals for your family every night or mm-hmm. just for yourself, even if you live alone. And it sort of feels like a chore, monotonous. You could only allow yourself to listen to your favorite podcast, maybe this one while you're cooking fresh meals, or only let yourself um, open your favorite bottle of wine when you're spending time uh, on meal prep. Similarly, you could save audiobooks you love or podcasts you love for when you're doing other household chores. You could think about um, only letting yourself go to a restaurant that has delicious but not such healthy options when spending time with maybe a difficult relative you should see more of or a mentee at work who you should be committing more time to mentoring. So there's a whole bunch of different ways you can do this. I often talk to my students about hitting the books at the library and how are they going to temptation bundle with that? Maybe there's a favorite treat they have at a favorite coffee shop. You only get to stop and pick up that caffeinated beverage when you're on the way to hit the books. So lots of different ways to think about temptation bundling, which isn't to say that it will solve every problem. Sometimes you just want to change goal pursuit to make the experience more fun, not necessarily Mm. through a temptation bundle. Um, but temptation bundling can work. And the final example I'll give, which is really from a different stream of research is making things social is one way of temptation bundling. So if you do it with a friend, right, that's essentially temptation bundling, someone you enjoy spending time with. Now I wouldn't say restrict your access to your friend. So it's only when you're doing this, this monotonous chore. Uh, but, uh, in this case, we did one experiment. This was led by Rachel Gershon at, uh, UC Berkeley, where, we tried two different ways of trying to get people to come to the gym more who wanted to exercise more regularly. Hmm. Everybody signed up for our experiment with a friend, a gym buddy, but then we randomly assigned them to either get paid a dollar every time they came to the gym under any circumstances, or they only got that dollar if they showed up at the same, during the same 30 minute interval as their friend so that we know they're working out together essentially. And an economist would say, Hmm. Definitely just pay them directly for the thing you want, right? You're making them jump through more hoops to get the dollar if they have to show up with their friend. But we thought it's going to be more fun. You're going to be accountable. We're going to see actually better results when you pay indirectly and you incentivize this joint tandem goal pursuit. And that is what we found. We found people exercised 35% more when their rewards were contingent on a friend showing up with them. And they told us at the end that they had enjoyed the experience more and they found a felt like they'd be a jerk, right? They they felt accountable to someone else. So you get sort of a double benefit from uh, this particular approach to goal pursuit, which is a type of temptation bundle. I love that. I mean, it's a good point about doing something that is hard or that you want to bring yourself to do with a friend, both as an incentive for doing it as an, and a disincentive against skipping it. But I also love the idea of thinking about the um, act of doing that socially as kind of a treat for yourself, which I think we don't we don't necessarily always think of doing things socially as a reward for ourselves, but it absolutely is because it is something that enhances the experience so much for us. And it makes me think about something that we have done on this show where my co-host and I last year, we spent um, 
a couple of months trying to reduce our screen time, trying to like break up with our phones and cure our phone addictions. And we would go there every week. We would try a new thing. We would have, you know, ridiculous phone cases to make it humiliating to carry the phone out or we would switch it to black and white and things like that. And something that we realized over the course of, you know, every week we would come together in the studio and talk about what worked and what didn't, that actually the most effective thing by far was just that act of sitting together and discussing it and laughing about it and joking about it, doing it together and making it a social act. That was actually the thing that was such a powerful incentive for us. And when I was talking to people afterwards, listeners or friends who were like, I want to try this too. I want to try it too. The people who were doing it socially with others were not just more successful, but were actually enjoying themselves and having fun. And that's what we're on this earth to do, right? To try to enjoy our day-to-day lives. And the people who were doing it by themselves were failing and were typically not feeling great about it. Yeah, that's a wonderful example. And it it brings us to a couple other principles that um, research has shown can really help with goal pursuit. One is just when we surround ourselves with others who are pursuing similar goals. um, Mm -hmm. There's a couple magical things that can happen. One is those people show us what's possible. And so if you're surrounded by, for instance, really studious people in college, you're going to end up getting better grades because they're the ones who are staying in on Saturday night and working instead of going out and partying. And you're going to think that's normal. I'll do the same. So there's lots of wonderful research showing we follow the herd. Uh, Mm. And there's one study I particularly love where it shows that your randomly assigned college roommate, if they were basically a more studious high school student, you end up doing better in college. So your friend group all having the shared goal you're getting the benefit of sort of seeing what are the strategies they're using. You can use a strategy called copy and paste where you like very deliberately emulate what they're doing, which PS we've shown, if you just nudge people, try to find a friend who's doing, trying to pursue the same goal and has had some success and copy what they do. People end up getting better outcomes than if they're just given random advice. Mm. Um, And then the final thing is actually the act of giving advice to someone else who's trying to pursue the same goal. You can see there's sort of like this amazing circle here. When you advise someone else, that improves your own uh, likelihood of succeeding. So Lauren Eskris Winkler at Northwestern University has done a bunch of great work on the power of advice giving to help the advisor. Uh, We ran one study that I got to be involved Mm -hmm. in where high school students gave advice to their younger peers on how to study more effectively and do better in classes. And it improved the advice givers grades because they want to walk the talk, right? Once you've told someone else how to do it, you're going to feel hypocritical if you don't and boosts your confidence to give advice to others. And it also forces you to introspect about what will work. So you're Example actually has so much great science behind it. You're doing a million things at once by pursuing it socially. I love that insight about people who give good advice about how to do better at something like studying are likelier to follow it themselves because I can totally see how that would lead you to internalize it and it would also just make it feel more rewarding to do the thing that you're talking about doing because then it's not just a duty that you have to fulfill because you have to do it, but it's part of your identity that you get to feel good about. Um, but there are also, I know that you, you've talked about and written about, um, even much kind of like smaller versions of making difficult tasks pleasurable or more pleasurable so that you're likelier to do them. Like um, an example that you cite from the Islet Fishback and, and Caitlin Woolley research is that when people were exercising or trying to or trying to get themselves to the gym more, I think, tell me if I have this right, they would tell them to do the fun exercises instead of the exercises that were healthier for them. And they became way likelier to to stay and to actually spend more time at the gym. Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, 
you can either try something like temptation bundling, or you can just change the way you pursue the same goal. Um, mm-hmm. So in the exercise domain, I like to think of sort of, you can choose the maximally efficient but punishing Stairmaster, say, or you can go to Zumba class with your friend. And uh, they both are going to get you moving and they're both going to burn calories. One is more efficient. And so you might think, oh, I should do the thing that's more efficient because I have this clear goal of getting fit. It's going to get me there faster. But in most cases, it seems that's actually a mistake because going to Zumba with your friend, you enjoy it and you keep coming back. You come the second time, you come the third time, you look forward to it. And let's be realistic. You probably don't do the Stairmaster more than once unless you have an amazing temptation bundle set up. Well, there's also this this famous example by that was popularized by Charles Duhigg that um, the toothpaste companies popularized the idea of brushing your teeth twice a day by putting a little bit of mint in it just so it would give you like a little pleasurable zip when you did it. And that is crazy to me, but is is so revealing because it, it toothpaste doesn't actually taste that good. But the fact that that alone is enough to at least help people, obviously there are other reasons to brush your teeth, but to help people to create- They're all in the long last... run. <laughs> They're all right. downstream. This is right. so present bias is working against you. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it's, it's amazing that's all it takes. It's just a little zip of mint. And it does, it makes me think about the things that I want to get myself to do, which is the little bit of mint that I can put into it. Or it makes me think about like, I hate running. I hate it. I, there's maybe nothing that I hate doing more. Sorry to the runners on this podcast. I respect you so much, but I just can't imagine it's a worse way to spend half an hour. But I love being outside, and I've tried so many times to get myself to run, could never do it. And I started hiking a lot. And hiking is not probably not as good for you as running because you're not working as hard. But it's so easy to get myself to do it because I like being outside. Absolutely. And you've you've solved for the secret sauce that is uh, getting yourself moving by making it fun. So everybody should give themselves a little bit, I think, more slack to not necessarily mm. run the marathon, but but walk, you know, do the hike if that's the thing you'll enjoy and you'll persist at it. If you instead had set the goal of I'm going to become a marathon runner, you would have quit by Quitter's Day, which P.S. I think we are literally talking on Quitter's Day. That is my understanding. Why? What today's Quitter's Second Day? Second Friday in January, I was told is Quitter's really? Day. Officially. What makes it Quitter's Day? A lot of people quit their New Year's resolutions <laughs> early, and somebody named it Quitter's Day. Maybe they were working at Hallmark. I'm not sure, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I got a lot of emails from reporters in the last couple of days. Really? Who said, it's Quitter's Day this Friday. What are your thoughts? So, are, yeah. are you but supposed thanks. to give gifts on Quitter's Day? I didn't get you anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm, I mean, I'm sure that there's some retailer who's working on that. Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. So you write about this finding in regards to saving money, which is, of course, also a big resolution that a lot of people have, that people are likelier to save money if they are asked to put aside $5 a day as opposed to $35 at the end of every week or certainly $150 at the end of every month, even though it's the same amount. Can you explain what's going on there? Yeah, I love this work. It comes out of a group at UCLA led by Hal Hirschfeld, who recognized that sometimes when it's bite-sized and approachable to achieve your goal, you're going to be more motivated to say, yes, I can do that. And $150 a month, that feels like a really big purchase that you're foregoing potentially, right? That's that's a meaningful amount of money. And you may say, no, I don't want to do that. But when you think about $5 a day, that's foregoing something kind of trivial. And so it's much more mm. accessible and it doesn't feel as daunting and people are more willing, more than three times as likely to say, yes, I'll sign up for a savings program when it's framed as as withdrawing $5 a day as opposed to 150 a month. Um, relatedly, in some work that I got to be involved in led by you, Marilyn's Anish Rai, we looked mm. at a goal that requires effort uh, which was people who'd said they'd volunteer 200 hours a year for a nonprofit. And that nonprofit was messaging people and re- reminding them about the goal they'd committed to and saying, you know, do a little every week. And we said, you know, make it bite sized make it clear what the little every week is. Let's talk about it as four hours a week. P.S. That's the same as 200 hours a year. And let's see if that improves follow through and simple messages that encourage people Instead of saying, do a little every week to get to your 200-hour yearly goal, they said, do four hours every week to get to your 200-hour yearly goal, increased volunteering by 8%. So there's all these different ways that we can make something feel more approachable, but but breaking it down into bite-sized concrete chunks is an important part of successful goal setting. Well, there's this research you write about, about um students given the opportunity to set their own deadlines that shows, I think, that that we, not only are we aware that we are likely to meet our goals if we break them down into little pieces, but we are, in fact, so aware of that and we're so aware of how hard it is to achieve a long-term goal that we will limit our own options and we will put restrictions on ourselves and what we can do in order to break things down into those smaller goals. Can you talk about that research? Yeah, absolutely. So first, let me actually step back and just say, this is something that ends up being very counterintuitive to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But also, I want to talk about the intuitive part, which is we're really used to other people putting constraints on us and, and breaking things down in order to help 
us achieve our goals, right? You're used to your boss who says, you know, I'm going to break this big assignment you need to complete by the end of the month into, and I want to see like a draft by this date. And then, you know, I want to finish each of these component parts and giving you deadlines or a teacher, right? What, what teacher have you ever had walk into a class and say like, hand it all in at the end of the semester, they break up their syllabus and they break down the work. That's kind of the job of a teacher who's teaching a class is to have a, a series of deadlines. And there's penalties if you don't hit them because they know if you push everything off until the end, you're not going to learn as much. We're used to being penalized by, you know, the the state. If we speed, it might feel really tempting to speed to get somewhere, but that's not good for you in the long run. And it's risky. It's bad for society. And you're used to getting a ticket for that. So we're used to all these external things, right, that manage us and get us to do things on time and not give in to temptation. But the minute I say to you, how do you feel about setting um, a penalty for yourself if you don't take three hikes that are at least six miles in the next three weeks, say giving $100 to a political candidate you hate? You're like, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? Right? That sounds nuts. Or um, if you have a, a class where a professor says you can set your own deadlines for the assignments, or you can just hand them all in at the same time. It may sound a little crazy to you to do that. But um, some people actually recognize the value in this. And we call those people, actually, in the literature, we call them sophisticated, which I think is a nice word for it. Um, very complimentary. <laughs> and you recognize, actually, you can use these kinds of incentives and tools to self-manage just the way your boss, your teacher, your parent, mm -hmm. the state might use incentives, penalties, and deadlines to help you break up a big task, break down, say, a big goal like quitting smoking, and figure out, you know, what's the bite-sized chunk and how can you set yourself up for success by increasing the penalty associated with failure. So they're called commitment devices. Setting Self-setting deadlines is, is an example of a commitment device, and there is research showing that um, people are willing to opt into these in many settings, including in a class where there's grades on the line. Some people will choose to have to hand in work early in order to make sure it won't all pile up until the last day. With savings accounts, some people will actually prefer a savings account that's illiquid. Even though it has the same interest rate, they would prefer one that they can't take money out of until a predetermined date or predetermined mm -hmm. goal is reached because they recognize that that account, they won't be able to give in to temptation and dip in and take things out before they've reached their big savings goals. So there's all this sort of intriguing evidence of the value people place on these kinds of commitment devices. Well, I think there's a couple of interesting things going on here with this idea of a commitment device, the idea of kind of binding your own hands or putting disincentives against your own behavior. I think one is just an acknowledgement that it's hard for us to resist temptation in the moment sometimes. And, you know, we put a lock on the cookie jar or whatever, just because we know we're going to have moments of weakness and when we are able to think long-term, think strategically, be a little bit more high-minded, we say, okay, I'm going to put these restrictions on my future self against following these temptations. But I think in a way, there's also something that's happening here that's kind of the flip side of temptation bundling, where temptation bundling is making the difficult tasks we want to complete more pleasurable, where we're also with things like commitment devices, we are taking the temptations, the bad habits that we want to avoid in the future, and we're actually trying to make them 
less pleasurable and make them less fun by changing how they work. So in, in a sense, this is just another kind of exploiting our own present bias, right? Absolutely. So it's basically saying there's going to be some future penalty associated with not getting my homework in and, and really learning from this class, or there's going to be some future penalty in terms of not saving. And I may not be valuing that enough. So what can I do to bind my hands and bring the penalty forward, right? Maybe I'll find myself if I don't go to the gym three times this week. And that's another way of changing the equation around present bias. One way to change the equation so you your overweighting of instant gratification is um, – is not detrimental to you is, well, let's just make it fun, make it instantly gratifying. The other way, though, is let's make it actually a bigger penalty with some of it paid up front if you don't go to the gym. That's that's the commitment device version. So sort of we can put our thumb on either side of the scale to try to engineer a situation where we'll mm -hmm. make the right choice. We can either increase the immediate reward or create some immediate or more immediate penalties um, so that the long-term rewards end up aligning with the short-term. I feel like when I look at times when I've been successful at pursuing my goals or friends who have been successful, I actually start to see these everywhere, even though I wouldn't necessarily think of it as a commitment device. Um, you know, there are like big examples that come to mind, like a, a friend of mine who set up an automatic donation in her own name to the national GOP, she's not a Republican, and it would automatically send unless she removed it, which she only gave herself permission to do if she achieved her goals for exercising that week. So the idea was that it made the temptation to skip exercise less appealing because it was more painful to skip the exercise because the donation would get made in her name to the Republican Party than it was to just go ahead and go through with it. But I also think about like this experiment that my co-host and I did with our phones. Like I mentioned, we got these big, ridiculous phone cases that some of them look like these big clowns. So it was like you would be out <laughs> holding your phone and it was like this giant yellow clown phone case and you looked ridiculous and it was kind of humiliating. And that was something that made the otherwise pleasurable and indulgent experience of being on my phone less enjoyable because I was being, you know, humiliated every time I took the phone out. So I, I feel like I see these little echoes of make the fun thing or the pleasurable thing that you want to stop doing less fun. Yeah, I love that. Those are great examples. Also, whenever you set up a friction to make it a little harder to do something, you can think of that as being related. Oh, yeah. So you talked about putting a lock on the cookie jar, but another thing you can do is just, if you want to eat healthier foods, empty your house of unhealthy foods. And now you can still get them, right? You can get online mm -hmm. and order something for delivery that's bad for you, or you can run out to the corner store or the nearest fast food joint, but it requires more effort. And if you have healthy snacks around, then the lazy thing to do is actually just eat the darn healthy snacks, right? So think about ways you can create frictions that support good habits and 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 um, make it less likely that you'll engage with the bad ones. And that's another way of changing this equation. But the research would also say, don't just replace the ice cream in your fridge with spinach, but replace it with healthy snacks that you really want to eat, even if right. it means you're being a little less puritanical with yourself. That's right. Because if you replace it with spinach, then you're still going to you're going to walk to the nearest McDonald's and order a McFreezy or whatever they sell these days that <laughs> satisfies. I don't even I made that up. Is that a McFreezy. <laughs> it's 
sounds like it would be a McDonald's it's product. It's going to be. We're going to sell the offline <laughs> McFreezy. But we we coined it. So remember, folks, when you see the McFreezy, you, you heard it here first. Um, yes, the point is, if you if you make the options that are low effort miserable, you mm-hmm. you will actually exert the effort to go uh, get the thing that's bad for you, no matter what, whether it's food and health or um, Mm -hmm. whether it's the exertion of effort in some other context savings. So you have to think about what's the replacement, what's the low friction option that's acceptable and, and ideally desirable. Right. So let me see if I can kind of sum all this up for myself. The, the people who we look at and we think they have incredible willpower because they eat well or they exercise regularly, often what's actually going on is not that they've brute forced themselves into doing the good thing because they're better people than the rest of us, but rather that they've developed strategies to avoid situations where willpower would be necessary at all to do what they want to do. Like they get up on time, not by willing themselves out of bed because they're stronger, but by putting their alarm on the other side of the room so that when it goes off, staying in bed is just less appealing. So in other words, instead of trying to overcome their brain's present bias, they're exploiting it. And the lesson of that is that then trying to force ourselves to do things we hate or give up things we enjoy is probably not going to work. And instead, what we should be thinking about is how to re-engineer our day-to-day environments to make our goals actually enjoyable in the moment to pursue, or at least the most enjoyable option in front of us. Is that right, do you think? It was an amazing summary. I loved it. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Uh, Well, Katie Melkman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This was a really fun conversation, and I am looking forward to my next McFreezy. I can't can't wait. It's going to be great. All right. (laughs) Thanks, Katie. Offline is a Crooked Media production. It's written and hosted by me, John Favreau, along with Max Fisher. It's produced by Austin Fisher. Emma Illick-Frank is our associate producer. Andrew Chadwick is our sound editor. Kyle Seglin, Charlotte Landis, and Vasilis Fotopoulos provide audio support to the show. Jordan Katz and Kenny Siegel take care of our music. Thanks to Michael Martinez, Ari Schwartz, Madeline Herringer, Reed Charlin, and Andy Taft for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Delon Villanueva, who film and share our episodes as videos every week. Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC.